Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 19th of September 2022. As a historical marker, this is the day of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. So let's talk about the grain market, which has been sort of skimming along the top of a choppy, choppy waves. I described it as boring, I think, last week or the week before, and, and to a large degree, it kind of still is. We're not seeing a lot of activity from farm. Maybe other merchants are buying everything and paying lots more money or being more persuasive. I kind of sense in the farming community a lack of concern or thought about this particular aspect of their job because they've got other things to think about, like rape going in quite late and what they're going to plant this autumn and the conditions that are out there. I actually dragged a farmer in this week. I dragged him onto the mics, more to the point. So Toby Mermigan joins me because I wanted just to see what the dynamic of plantings were. So I have a brief chat with him about the conditions and what's going on in terms of timings of plantings and where everybody is with that. And then we have a little chat after that amongst ourselves about, well, we haven't had the chat yet, so I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about, but just kind of filling in around that subject because I think that's becoming the most interesting thing. I am still firmly of the opinion that November feed wheat futures November are too high relative to where the rest of the world is. I cannot for the life of me see why anyone would be paying 273 or 4 or £5 pounds a tonne for NOV futures to own them because it's going to cost you, I don't know, £10 pounds to move it and it's going to have your money tied up and you're now paying a greater rent every day. And I just I can't see the logic in owning it. I'm totally delighted, whoever's long of it, and I I sincerely hope they've got the cash because I'll be holding my little hand out for it. But I just, from a purely describing my view of the market perspective, I cannot believe the price is as high as it is. I totally get that Mr. Putin and Xi Jinping, who are meeting today and they met yesterday, you know, are going to maybe come up with some sort of thing that pushes the market through the roof. The Chinese are in and buying, we're told. You know, maybe a big volume of international trades will make the market go up. And therefore, the relevance of the UK specifically, it doesn't really matter and will go up even further. But in the immediate short term, the practicalities of real life lorries moving grain and silos being full and people actually using it and the dynamic of demand destruction as everything is so expensive, I just can't see November wheat staying up there. My view is, if the whole world stays firm, then November will lose itself in amongst that only for a week or two, and then it will fall away relatively. So I would expect to see the spread between November and May go out to at least £10 a tonne. We shall wait with bated breath on that one. Anyway, so let's put some values on it. If you take feed wheat for December X farm, 260. That's a round figure. Discount, £2 to November. Don't really want any November wheat. Everybody's long of November, but I mean, obviously, if someone begged me to move it, then fine. Or if I can find some more storage space to put some in, I'll do that as well. But I'm a little bit tucked up at the moment. Yeah, so it's quite a tight market in terms of finding homes to go to. 
And I think the consumer's going to start putting some cheeky bids out there, a bit lower. So that's feed wheat. Feed barley, 240x. Theoretically, it should be trading quite happily to cargoes. There don't seem many bids or enough bids around at the moment. That might lose a bit of ground if wheat starts to fall away. I would like to sell a feed barley cargo, but I'm not succeeding at the moment. And uh, maybe I'm asking too much money for it. We shall see. Milling wheat premiums floating around the late 30s to £40 a tonne, depending on how close you are to the mill. I'm a cynic on milling wheat, as you know, and I think somewhere at the end of the season there'll be opportunities for millers to use all this fantastic kilo weight high Hagberg stuff, albeit without the protein, somehow or another to discount their values, because there's an awfully large amount of really good quality wheat out there. Oilseed rape, old crop, under the cosh a little bit, up and down, dramatically daily. Today, 475 is the value X store, X farm for November. That's a reasonable drop-off. Don't particularly feel the pain on that one any more than it's had. Might drop another 25, 30 quid, but it could just so easily go up 25, 30 quid. So, yeah, I mean, if you've held this long, you may as well sit it through till after Christmas and close your eyes, because I can't give you a concise assessment on that due to the obvious, you know, geopolitical stuff and, you know, who knows, and what happens in Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. The pound is weak. It's at a 37-year low against the dollar. It's reasonably stable against the euro, 114, which is, you know, not particularly strong, as we know, but it's, you know, it's not really cacking out against that, so that's kind of not really influencing things. Malting barley we haven't mentioned. Yeah, there's a lack of bids for that pre-Christmas. Most people, as we've previously discussed, realise there's a big crop of very usable barley, and the only real buyers in the market are shorts trying to protect the sales that they've got. So, yeah, I think the molsters themselves are pretty relaxed and confident. Moving on to 23 crop, harvest feed barley, I don't know, 215, 220, who knows? I mean, no one really tends to trade it this far forward. I guess malting barley is going to be in the region of 280 spring barley. There's some very good prices for malting barley if you get the right contracts, so maybe one or two of you should look at that. Again, there is a reluctance for 2023 crop to be traded at the moment, and if there is a supply problem with Ukraine next year. We already know, therefore, that one of the surplus countries is not going to have anywhere near as many tonnes again. And they're talking about 65% of what they planted last year going into the ground for the coming year. So the size of their crop will reduce. And let's make an assumption the grain corridor keeps open all the way through, which I severely doubt. So I think that one is always going to keep the market fuelled. You know, I don't see the pressure on the farmer. I can see the logic, perhaps of looking at one or two forward prices and maybe selling some if you have some pressure or if you want to secure the prices against the fertiliser price you've just paid. That's your call. But I don't see you selling as many tonnes forward as usual. I see some merchants actively pushing you to do it, which is fine. They need the business. Is it the right advice? I don't know. We don't know the answer to that. I'm not totally convinced it is. I don't see the pressure on you. I see the pressure on the buyer at the moment, that is. So new crop feed wheat, rough value, December 23 is about 250x, something like that. So that'd make harvest about 235x. Big discount because the subject matter of storage and costs of it is going to come up either this week or next when we have one of our market chats. Yeah, so kind of that's it. There's nothing much activity-wise happening with doing grain. We're a pretty docile bunch doing the administration of harvest, paying all of the barley that's come into store. And um, that's what we're filling our time with, actually trading with people on new deals. Um, there's only a minimal tonnage going through at the moment. And read into that what you like, whether that's a, a national issue or it's just us. Paranoia says it's just us, but reality is I don't think farmers are feeling any form of pressure or don't feel the need. With that, have a great week's trading. 
Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, this week we've got one of our previous guests come back in. He was in the office this morning and I've done a hijack job for quick fire questions about the autumn because I think that's very relevant to all of you out there to just see what exactly is going on in the UK. So Toby Mermigan, welcome back to the most popular podcast. Hello, Andrew. Apologies for nabbing you. Yeah, I did have you... lunch plans, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll talk for a couple of hours and you'll have to miss out. it be a lot thinner. Right, these are the questions. First things first, oilseed rape. Wasn't planted on time because it was too dry. What have you done? Well, we waited for some rain. So normally we would drill oilseed rape middle of August and haven't really suffered from flea beetle over recent seasons and had some good oilseed rape crops, but... Middle of August came along this year, no moisture, so we held off until we had some rain. And then we had about an inch, I can't remember when exactly, but sort of towards the end of August and got the drill out, banged in the oilseed rape. And half of it emerged quite nicely and the other half sat there because it wasn't quite enough moisture. Mm -hmm. And so we've got sort of two crops in our oilseed rape fields. It's all being hit by flea beetle. Which is a new experience for you. Which is, yeah, because with our mid-August drilling, we hadn't really had much trouble with flea beetle. Mm. So this year, the crops are suffering a bit. You know, I don't have enough experience to know whether that's going to polish the well, crops off or not. If there's lots of them, it's not going to be a great moment for you. But, I mean, the peak of the flea beetles kind of like the August bank holiday weekend, I'm told. They're obviously mm. hanging around waiting for someone to crack and plant some so they can breed or whatever they do, but... The consensus, generally, I think you are very similar. Most people have planted a lot later. I think so, yeah. And the other talk to me was, should you wait even later than that and now rely upon a mild UK autumn? Because it seems the forecast is for a mild autumn. Maybe Mm. you could plant it later and get away with it. Yeah, my agronomist tells me that, you know, there is another window sort of mid-September. You know, that can be popular. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you're trying to drill post the main flea yeah. beetle migration, we didn't choose to do that. We just, you know, got on with it when it rained. And it'll be interesting to see how people do get on if they are waiting for that. I, I think window. a number of people are who have had flea beetle problems in the past. That's yeah. the point. Good luck to them. And maybe that was the right thing to do in hindsight. But yeah, well, time we'll, will tell. We'll know yeah. in about, well, we might even know in two months' time, might yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, so the next question, with the rain that we recently, we had some more rain this morning, which looked quite useful. Where are we at with winter barley planting? We don't usually drill winter barley till October. Mm-hmm. We try and get our early wheats in, so sort of wheatland, wheat going in after oxid rape or beans or something like that. We try and get that in last week of September mm-hmm. and then into October with the winter barley. 
So we're going to start drilling our winter wheat next week. Okay. Um, is our plan. And um, this must be getting to the point where there's enough moisture to... I don't know, how, where are you at? Are you ploughing or are you are you just lightly cultivating over the top and saving the roots or whatever? Yeah, we're going to pull a deep cultivator through mm-hmm. rather than plough. And our early wheat, given the right weather, we should take about a week or so. So if we start next week, we'd hope to have most of that done next week. And it looks favourable, doesn't it? I think so. I think there's enough moisture now to get things going, yeah. Yeah. If we were ploughing, it might be different because, you know, looking at some of the ploughed loud around, it's ploughing up, it's quite dry underneath. I think we've got enough moisture on (laughs) top. Quite dry understatement. Yeah, no, that is the crux of it, isn't it? That if there is no real autumn rainfall of note, those roots are going to go down to a point where there's nothing for them to drink from. I guess there is that danger... We so if you don't disturb it that much, in theory, should the roots should have an easy time to get down. You know, but I, I can see there being a problem if we do have a dry autumn. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, I think we have... Oh, I can't quite remember what we've had, but I think we had an inch of rain last week, mm-hmm. something like that. And then we, we had an inch of rain at the end of August. So, you know, it is starting to accumulate and, you know, it's not bone dry like it was. And I think we're confident enough to crack on and risk it. So wheat's looking favourable, barley September as usual, so largely quite comfortable with how we're going to start off for next season, making the assumption that the weather gives us enough rain through the winter. Yeah, exactly. You know, our plans are set. Weather willing, we will drill most of our early wheats next week. Mm-hmm. Might be tempted to drill winter barley when we finish, mm. which would be slightly earlier than we usually do, or maybe wait till the beginning of October. And spuds? I mean, obviously you're a big spud man. What's the lifting on spuds? Have people started on that in earnest? Yeah, we've made a cracking start. I think we started on the 5th of September, which I think is a record for us. Mm-hmm. Slightly worried about temperature going into store, mm-hmm. but we've made a very good start and things are going well. Yields are down, mm-hmm. which wasn't really surprising given the heat and the you know lack of rain. Quality? Um, quality actually looks quite reasonable. Okay. Um, Variety dependent, we've got some potatoes that look quite large, which our chippers like, mm-hmm. and some varieties that aren't quite so big. Quality looks okay, yeah. So whoever's been in charge of irrigation has done the job properly, by the look of it. Yeah, been hard assets, been a hard and expensive. Must have been the busiest season. ever year. Yeah, yeah, and there's been no break at all mm. in irrigating, which, you know, we do rely on a bit of rain out the sky, but... Can you quantify how much it costs? Like for a summer like this, you know, how many pounds per hectare have you spent on water? Is that- <laughs> God, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. No. But certainly we've put seven inches on, something like that. So that's hundreds of pounds a hectare. Yeah, you know, the going price, I mean, lots of people would be paying different prices, but mm. the going price might be something like 60 pounds per application. Wow. Which leads on to, obviously, potatoes. Well, let's not get into the politics of that because we had that conversation before. Let's just focus on the questions I was going to ask you, which leads on to if the potatoes are coming out nice and early, that should be, what will that be followed by? Spring barley, or will it be followed by wheat, or what's your plan? So after spuds, Mm. yeah, wheat. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. as we clear potato land, we'll be putting that into wheat. Okay, so all in all, the news out from the farm is it's been a good start. Yeah, we had a good harvest, which went quickly. And we've had some decent yields. And of course, we've got some decent prices too. So harvest was good. Potatoes yields are down. We're not going to do as well out of spuds this year. Mm -hmm. The other thing with potatoes that's really affected us is the cost of growing them. 
So since our price came out, Russia went to war with Ukraine, cost of diesel, cost of electricity has gone through the roof. We all know that story. And, you know, as growers, we've all had to go back and talk to our buyers about what do we do about the difference? And that is an uncomfortable conversation. And although probably some of us have had some help, it's probably not enough. And so the margins are being squeezed all the time. Does that lead on to, I mean, next year, that's a whole new story, isn't it? It's going to be fascinating to see what Mm. prices are being banded about next year, because I think there's a lot of pressure on the potato industry at the moment. You know, how do you pass all those costs on to the consumer? We're the wrong end of the supply chain, aren't we? Yeah. Because you've got to get through the processor or the packer. You've got to get through the retail and you've got to get to the consumer. And And everyone's everyone's resistant along the way. Poor old consumer can't afford to boil them, apparently. And they can't afford them either. So there's a big squeeze on in the potato industry. And one would imagine people will not want to take the risks they have been taking. Yeah, okay. More cereals. Going forwards. Plant the forest. Just, you know, cutting down, yeah. Okay, so right, Toby, thank you. We're going to follow this up with the boys having a chat about the market. But, Toby, I really appreciate that farmer input. And to all of you out there, that's how it's like in Norfolk in the planting season for 2023 harvest crop. Thank okay. you. No trouble. Nice Cheers. to speak to you. I've just had Toby Mermigan in, and I'm just going to discuss a sort of general outline picture with just Ben this morning because we're only going to not talk for long. Yeah, more on Ben. Yeah, so we had Toby in to sum up, because you haven't heard what he said. Basically, I want to get a synopsis on where plantings are. You know, rape's gone in late. Yeah. He's never had flea beetle problems, but this year he has got them. Right, okay. And the stuff he put in a little bit early, half emerged, and then the second half has emerged later, and they're looking, you know, big and little in the field, and he's still got some rape to plant. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because we were there panicking about how dry it was. Will they get rape in? The irony is they drilled rape, but then the rain's not come at the right time. Or Some of them are weighted. And I think the bit that goes in later, if we look at mild autumns being more likely with climate change, yeah. maybe tactics will change. It's all about the cycle of the flea beetle, isn't it? Anyway, that's the first thing. His, you know, his planned still early. You forget that it's still early. Yeah. So the barley will go in October, and he said he's ready to hit the wheat now. With the rain we've recently had the last couple of days, he feels it's good to go. So mm. We had a huge downpour last night. Mm. More rain today. You know, Conditions are good. We're going, yeah. to have, we're going to have a crop, aren't we? Yeah. So we've got a job next year. It's a good start. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. So just what I wanted to talk about, because we now know for the, for the world that, you know, this is where Norfolk's at, and obviously we're the centre of the universe and there's a crop coming here, so we'll feed the world. But more to the point, global recession, you know, the dynamics of what's going on with the pound being incredibly weak. What do you reckon is happening with that, Ben? Funnily enough, I was just talking to Ian, and I'm trying very hard not to get very negative about it. I think I've misread how bad this global recession could be. I think part of me thought, look, we're going to have a hit, but then prices will come down and then things will recover. But the more I read and the more I see, I mean, you know, figures out today, retail spending down 1.6%. That's not a lot. It's down, but it's not like, oh my God. But then the pound sinks to a 90-year low on the dollar or something ridiculous. 37-year low. Yeah. On the back of 1.6% drop in retail? Yeah, it was dropping before that, wasn't it? It was. And it was dropping on the back of the fact that, you know, how is the UK going to recover? But, I mean, I was just hearing today about, you know, all these Italian cafe owners saying, look, actually, we don't think we can open our cafes. You think about the cafe culture in Europe, it is... You know, major. It's Italian cafes weren't open. Yeah, they're saying we're going to have to shut because their power bills are enormous. Well, they'll probably have to go to work when they normally just spend the time in the cafe, <laughs> trying a sickie. 
So the Italian productivity could go through the roof, is that what you're saying? But I think it's more the, I think it's the psychological impact of that. Because Europe is all about cafe culture and having your little espresso. And I'm pretty sure if people start walking down the street and, you know, that their cafe that's been open, like there's this one, this guy's, you know, he's been open for 90 years or something. That's where I was getting my 90 years from. He's saying, I will have to shut because I cannot afford my electricity bill. Is he 90 years old then? Or hundred years. Inherited it from his dad. Oh, okay, just checking. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in the global recession, there does seem to be a bit of a. We were just talking about two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. So two thousand and eight was the financial crisis when the governments came in and bailed out the banks, rightly or wrongly. But in two thousand and eight, we didn't have the inflationary pressures, did we, Andrew? No, that I just suddenly made me leap off to the quasi quartang. We're going to lift the lid on bankers' bonuses. <laughs> Massive risk, screw it up again, get bailed out by the government and still drive three Porsches and a couple of Mercedes. <laughs> we don't love bankers, do they earn too much money? But yeah, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's kind of like money coming into the Treasury for a period of time until we have to bail them out, I suppose. I mean, the irony is they don't need to lift bankers' bonuses because they make good salaries anyway. And no, no, they're going to lift them. To I know, tempt, I know they are. Tempt yeah. lots of European bankers' I can't see it anyway. But 2008, massive financial crisis. Everyone panicked, didn't Mm. they? And thought, oh, God, ended the world. But the governments got together. They all came up with a global strategy. They bailed out the major banks and they got everything back growing relatively quickly. We're not getting that with this one, are we? In the end, my dad used to say, you cannot have continuous growth from a finite resource being the earth. Mm. So if you continue to aim at growing continuously, in the end, you exhaust the resource. Yeah. So it doesn't work. Yeah. So in our lifetime, it will continue to be the same because no one can think of anything different and they'll never get voted in. But the reality of what's going on, we all recognise it. You know, the climate is now waving at us and saying, you know, too late, boys, you screwed it up. Yeah. And we're still driving our three-litre petrol-driven Jaguars, aren't I? Yes. Not all of us. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, you know, the guilt is rising. But the reality of people not being able to afford things is what we're really talking about, isn't it? Yes. You know, the man can't run his cafe or he can't charge £10 for a double espresso Mm. because, you know, no one's going to come in anyway on the basis of that and it's just going to go broke. I mean, I can hear the cries of, and we've had it in the office of, okay, you'll maybe have to give up your Sky membership, you know... That's my right. I have my right to have my Sky membership. Yeah, (laughs) and maybe go on one less holiday a year or something. I fully accept that, yes... That all behaviour needs to change. But I think at the bottom level, where those people have already, you know, weren't doing that anyway, mm. who couldn't afford it, I think, I, oh, God, well, your famous saying, the man to fear is the man with nothing to lose. Yeah. We're edging closer, I think. Well, I mean, hopefully there won't be any riots in Westwick, but there's going to be some riots somewhere. We've, <laughs> we've predicted that. But at the moment, we're in this, you know, period of mourning for the Queen. You know, how many weeks before it turns ugly? It's just turning, beginning to get chilly, isn't it? Yeah. Things to start going on. Yeah. Oil, thankfully, has come down in price, so we're going vaguely we, cheerful Again, thank God for Norfolk. Yeah. Lots of oil boilers. <laughs> well, yeah, there's also several gas boilers, you know, and that isn't very funny at all for anybody, is it? No. I mean, the other thing is, obviously, look, Xi Jinping and Putin have met in Uzbekistan this week mm. for some random conference. 
that was telling, and I think the press have really nailed it where they've said, look, the balance of power has shifted. Mm. Jinping is the guy with holding all the cards, and Putin is looking like a man looking yeah, for help. Oops, sorry about that. I told you it'd be over in three days, and it's <laughs> taken a bit longer. And now, if you give too much support, it's going to affect China. China only cares if it hurts China, doesn't it? Yeah. And he's starting to realise that now, Putin, isn't he? He's starting to realise that... I don't know. I I look at him and I think, yeah, he looks a bit shifty uh, in that conversation, but I don't think he really gives that much of a, you know, poo about it. He's committed to having whatever war and sending some cruise missiles into some places to deliberately offend the president of Ukraine. But it does seem at the moment that he's on a very dodgy piece of ground with his own people because they've just lost bucket loads of land and, you know, there's questions being asked. But is that just the Western press telling us that so we all feel better about it? Yeah, maybe. But you've got to think that there will be questions. I mean, I did see that, yeah, Russian state news that normally backs him have started saying... Look, we have lost land, you mm. know, so there's a telling sign. Well, I mean, that's the guess, isn't it? Mm. The second guess what happens next, what he does next, whether he does something much more uh, hideous yeah. is open to debate, isn't it? Whether he's asked Jinping, can I stick something terrible into a city or something? I mean, they're not going to have that in front of the cameras, are they? But. What is his next move? I don't think he's just going to go, Oops, sorry about that, we'll sort of, we'll come out with our tail between our legs. He's got to come up yeah, with he something won't. he's happy to compromise on. And he also knows if he compromises too low, if you like, then the people will turn on him and say, well, why did we lose all these people just for that small gain? So he's kind of in a terrible corner and his rat analogy comes to the fore, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So we have to second guess. We aren't here to solve the world's problems, but we are here to debate the grain price. What's going to happen to the grain price and how can it impact? If he does something particularly hideous with some form of a small-sized nuclear weapon in the middle of Ukraine, it's going to have an effect on supply. People not buying Ukrainian product through, you know, radiation or whatever. Yeah. So prices of cereals would inevitably go up, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely looking at the grain corridor. That is up for negotiation. I can't imagine he won't do something there Mm. because he can say, look, I'm sorry, I gave you a chance, but all you wealthy European countries are buying it. It's not enough going to the poorer nations. Yeah, you're buying it and then you're giving Ukraine weapons. Yeah. Which they're firing at us. So he's got an argument. So without doubt, there is going to be that. It's just, is it going to affect prices immediately in the UK? Spot X Farm Wheat, I think, has a problem at the moment. I said this in my market report, that it is there's a limited number of places to go and we're not exporting it. Mm. So, I mean, one other thought comes to mind on non-exports. You know, the river levels in Europe have increased a bit, but there still isn't that much rainfall going on. How many years in the future will there be, you know, low river levels? How many years in the future, therefore, will those countries start to strategically plan to buy grain from islands like ours where you haven't got to worry about river levels true yeah no, that is a good yeah point. it's not all bad news for the uk because we are an island and we can actively get stuff from farm to market very quickly yes and if everywhere's dried up then we're going to be quite useful to those port facilities in holland aren't we yeah and we always get that statement i've heard it in the grain trade in all my life is that Everyone needs to eat. You know, it doesn't Mm. matter what's happening. People need to eat. I get that. That's fine. But I think, you know, this global recession does seem to have a lot more punch behind it than ones I've seen before. Yeah. 
So, mm. yeah, I think on the basis of our conversation about the grain market and we'll still have a job, Toby Mermigan's planted it, so all the farmers have planted it as far as we're concerned, or they're going to, and everybody needs to eat. That's mm. two very positives to be a grain trader. Yeah. World recession, right, we've still got a job in a world that hasn't got any money, but hey, we'll be one of the smug fat ones that are still stuffing our face full of as many expressions as we can at £20 a shot. So, you know... There we go. <laughs> so to you, Jack, we were right. No, as long I mean, as maybe he can get his organic yeah. olive oil artichokes <laughs> in a jar, he's laughing. No, I think the reality of it is, you know, glibness is definitely not part of what we're... We're consciously yeah. aware of the troubles ahead. But our job is to reflect grain prices in the future. And, yep, yeah, we'll still have a job next year. So with that, let's go on to next week and hopefully be a bit more cheerful. Cheers. Okay. cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.